You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and uh, we are all at a stage where we have been um, under one form of lockdown or isolation or whatever for a number of weeks now, and it is inspiring people to be creative in more ways than one. You have some people who are writing poetry, you have others who are writing journals, and you have some who are uh, creating music. And uh, we're going to hear today from two in the music area. And uh, one of those is Martina Jensen. She's just outside Wexford uh, in Ireland. Martina, first of all, thanks a million for coming along. And, uh, thanks for having me. So tell me, before we talk about the, the group and the music, uh, uh, Kilinearn, uh, a bit about yourself. You're, I, as I think you mentioned in our communications, you're a frontline healthcare worker. I am. Um, I've worked in ICU probably for the most part of 10 years. Um, so, yeah, I'm still working there. I've switched hospitals, but uh, still working on the front line. I'm in more of an educational role the last couple of months. But during the, the outbreak and the busyness that it has been culturally in the, in the workplace, I've moved back to totally clinical duties. So I've been upskilling ward nurses to come and work in ICU, and I've been helping out in general just with all the patients that they have because we've had to expand our capacity uh, just to meet the needs of the, the patients that we have coming in. Now, Martina, when you say you've had to expand the capacity, I know that the healthcare system in Ireland is under strain a lot, most of the time, and in a sense it has been, I, I suppose you could just say it's been repurposed in that yeah. most of the uh, traditional emergency and waiting room and, and uh, cases that were in hospitals seem to have been put on the back burner temporarily and it's all COVID-19. How full is the hospital you're involved in or the healthcare facility you're involved in uh, from a COVID-19 perspective? Well, I work at the moment in a private hospital. It's the, called the Beacon. Um, mm -hmm. It's based in Sandyford in Dublin. Okay. So unlike a, a lot of the major big public hospitals in Dublin, which would be designated COVID centres, this is not. But like many hospitals in the world, I don't think anyone can escape it. And we have had our fair share of COVID patients. Um, those that we've had, we've managed, I think, exceptionally well. And we've had quite good outcomes. Um, we haven't been totally overrun like some ICUs have. Um, we've been quite fortunate that way and from a very early stage we started the planning process just to ensure that we would ensure to always meet the, the capacity needs for, for our cohort of patients that we have coming in um, and I think very early the Beacon put in very strict infection prevention and control kind of practices within the hospital to screen every visitor to shut down all the external doors for the ones in the car park and the main entrance and they just policed it very well so that kind of nobody fell through the cracks you know they're testing temperatures twice a day and anybody who came in for an outpatient appointment they had to kind of complete questionnaire about traveling symptoms and exposure so it just minimizes the risk to staff and other patients and to be honest they've uh, they've caught every one that they should have caught and nobody's flown under the radar so I think we've managed it quite well but we're a smaller hospital than most so you know I suppose we had that on our side. Yeah I know where the beacon is actually there in Sandyford and that brings up another interesting uh, scenario and that is that you're commuting from 
south of Gorey to Dublin in order to go to work. <coughs> and um, how how long have you been doing that? Um, for let me see, since I moved back to Gorey in two thousand and eleven. So I was, at that time, I was working in the Matter Public on the north side of the city, um, opposite Mount Joy Jail. Not your, sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but I trained there um, and I started working in ICU there as well. So I had worked there up until 2018. Um, so I had been commuting to the north side of Dublin before the beacon. So I was well equipped for the, the road travel. I think at that stage, I'd been culturally just programmed into it but um, I moved actually for the left commute um, initially but then there was fantastic opportunities in the Beacon so I couldn't say no then (laughs) Um, so I went to the Beacon then it's a left commute it's about 50 minutes from me so I I consider that reasonable enough because I think um, being having the experience in ICU and doing the postgraduate diplomas and everything to suit my practice I don't think I would get any kind of job around Gory that would suit my skills. So I think a Dublin hospital is where I need to be, and the Beacon absolutely fulfills that. And I'm lucky to get a, I suppose, an educational role there that I can, uh, you know, help upskill new staff and help the whole cohort of the ICU there. I'm given a lot of free reign by my managers, and they're so supportive about what I want to teach and what I want to improve. And they support me exceptionally well, you know. So I, I like having the freedom to kind of do what uh, inspires me as well in my job. So I think that's given me a lot of personal freedom on my days off too, because it's definitely reduced any stressors and stuff that I have uh, to get that life, that you know, the life work balance right. And I think it's it suited me down to the ground to move, and definitely the less commute helps also. <laughs> So when you said the last commute, Martina, I know that uh, if you're going in or out of Dublin, you definitely don't want to go in or out of Dublin during rush hour. So I would imagine yeah. you've been able to stagger your start and end time to avoid the worst of the commute. I think generally, I don't know what the nursing hours are in Canada, but here they're always 13-hour shifts for the most part. So when I was working on the north side of Dublin, we were doing half seven till near, probably you get out maybe at nine or so at night. Um, and then in the Beacon, they worked from seven. Um, as a manager there in the ICU, I worked seven till eight at night, the 13-hour shift. But since I've come into the educational role, I, I reduced my hours as well. So I come in about six o'clock um, so that I can capture the night staff as well in case they need help with anything in particular. And then I leave about half four in the evening. Um, now, during all the COVID thing, the traffic is significantly reduced <laughs> for that past four leaving time, so it's been fine for me, but um, on a normal day, you would come out into a little bit of traffic, so, um, but um, I suppose the 13-hour shift, so it's, a, it's a little bit of a price to pay, but it's better, I think, work-life balance with those shorter shifts. So, you, being in a healthcare facility, being in the Beacon, an awful lot of non-essential businesses have closed and a lot of essential businesses have reduced their workforce and their staff. Um, mm. Is somewhere like a hospital or a healthcare facility, are there staff in that would be considered non-essential or that there's any cutbacks or is it a case of it was more having to ramp up and bring more people in? 
Um, it was more of a, of a thing about um, kind of redeploying our current staff into different work environments. So people like um, that would have worked maybe in different wards and stuff that would have closed down, maybe those kind of non-essential surgeries or whatever weren't going ahead, then those girls were brought into ICU and upskilled. Um, we actually were fortunate enough to come, to, to come together as a clinical facilitator group in the country. Like a, These are the ICU educators, so to speak, and we collaborated with UCD and other professional bodies to do with nursing in Ireland, and we compiled an online self-directed learning course uh, so that nurses uh, from ward level could upskill to a basic help or in some capacity to an ICU patient level, which is a huge gap to do because I know even in my career, you've several, several years of experience. You do foundation courses, which take six months and six months consolidation. You could do another maybe year and a half of a postgraduate diploma to get extra qualifications in ICU before you'd even dream you know, of taking some of the patients, how sick they are coming into it, especially with COVID. Um, so to to achieve that and do it well, I suppose, was a massive undertaking. But they have done it well. And from what I've heard uh, around Ireland, um, it's been successful as well. So I think all the hospitals took on the same strategy. Whatever staff was on the wards, we brought them in. we done simulation labs. we done the online training and just supported them 100%. And we had very, you know, structured planning in place that what way we were going to staff the patients as well. So it took a lot of planning and the heads coming together, all right. Indeed. So um, being involved in ICU at a time like this, um, you're seeing a lot of people in distress and then they're being cut off from their families and um, you may or may not have had seen some people pass away. But from an emotional perspective, at the end of a day, um, there's an emotional price to be paid for going through something like this. And for someone who's at the coal face, it's a greater emotional stress and an emotional price. Are you finding or have you found that it has um, taken its toll on you? Um, it has in ways, um, but I think I've been in ICU now many number of years and I've developed coping mechanisms for such situations. And um, I think I'm lucky in that way. I've been able to help more junior members of staff or people who are unfamiliar with those circumstances coming into ICU to help deal with them. I suppose even just for an example, um, as a patient is actively dying in ICU, um, we do everything for them, you know, and um, what we want at the end of the day, if their path in ICU leads to death, that we want to ensure that that's dignified. And we would advocate for them till the very end, you know, we want to ensure their comfort and dignity above all else. We also want, I suppose, to play a part in protecting the family and supporting them um, because it's massive psychological impact on them. And I suppose a lot of the time you have to kind of put your own emotions second to that because they're the one who has the relative in ICU and the, the patient is the one who's actually going through it themselves. So I think um, you learn as a, as a nurse working in ICU 
to kind of compartmentalize your feelings somewhat um, just to make sure that you're 100% speaking for the best interest in the patient at all times, ensuring their comfort, safety, dignity, and allowing the family, if at all possible, to, to come and see the patient and to ensure that if they have religious beliefs that everything is met. Um, I suppose, and that's what you can do, you know, it's just your role at the, the end of their days, you know, that you can play. And I suppose it's something that we can do in a positive way because uh, there's not many people who can do that for people, you know. And when you talk in forms of compartmentalizing emotions and having coping mechanisms, um, it's, a, it's a good segue into uh, Kilanaren. And uh, music is often uh, what is a therapy. It's therapeutic. It's an emotional release, and it allows for expression of feelings. Uh, talk to me about it. Yeah, well, I suppose I'm fortunate enough to be able to escape the concrete jungle that is Dublin, <laughs> and uh, that commute is okay if it's leading to rolling hills. You know, it's more than a lot of people that have been able to do. I suppose, and we live out in a quite rural part of the Wexford as well. So we get a great lot of um, opportunity to go out in the outdoors and not actually have to interact with people. You don't actively need to social distance in the area directly around my house because there is no other people. You know, people keep to themselves and stuff. But um, I suppose it helps. And in a way, the reason why I got to writing that song was probably an outlet in some way. Um, I'm not a songwriter, <laughs> but um, I suppose my husband is quite musical, and I suppose at some point it rubs off. And uh, we'll share the song uh, when you and I finish chatting, but um, it's a war against the world is what you've called the song. And um, the story, be our, the theme that you're you're expressing in the song. Um, well, I just, I suppose I just wanted to portray the, the isolation part for people in their homes more than anything. And uh, just to make it, I, thought, I suppose, a positive thing that, you know, frontline workers, they will step up and they, they will put themselves forward above anything else, above themselves. And they are absolutely 100% committed to getting through it, you know. And um, I think that's important for people to know. It gives them hope. And I hope that I've portrayed that in some way in the lyrics of the song that I've written. And I must compliment you, and I'm impressed with the um, video that accompanies it. How did that come about, and uh, how did you have it developed, or where did it come from? Um, my husband made it, actually. Um, he's, he's quite good at the computers and stuff, and he has a music studio here in our house basically <laughs> um, outside Kylanir and that's the village that we live near uh, near Gori. Um, so the studio is called Laz Music Productions and he does everything from mixing, mastering recording, he releases music under his music label Laz Music and his new venture is, uh, is video production as well so I think he's done quite well for his first a uh, major production, and um, so he made that in his studio. <laughs> and of course, with given in the normal environment in the music world, 
it's difficult enough to get a piece of music and to get something out there. And in the current environment, because of um, technology and exposure, it's probably a little bit easier in some ways. What has been the response like so far? Um, very good. Um, I think my my husband usually tours with a band in Norway. It's called Stephen and Laz. So all their concerts for this the last couple of months actually has been cancelled completely their tour. So he's had a lot more time in the studio, which he actually is really enjoying. And I suppose he's been able to put more time and effort into it then. And I think because he was making it anyway and the words just came came to light and it all came together quite quickly actually from the end of March. I think we I wrote the song. Um it's uh it's just given him the time to develop it well and I think everyone's been very positive that they just on the subject matter and the production and everything else that went into it, he's put a lot of time and effort into it and I think it's come out on it. Um, I'm very happy with the outcome. So, Marta, uh, Martina, we're going to wrap up here, but I'm going to ask you to introduce the song, and uh, we'll go from there. And thank you for taking Perfect. the time. Thanks very much. Uh, enjoyed speaking to you. Um, so, here is A War Against the World, and it's from the debut song from Laz Jensen's Kyle and Aaron. I hope everybody enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> 